0: Hi this is Ben Lowell and welcome to back to the Bible Canada. On today's program, we continue our current series The Power of Christ in a Pagan World with Dr. John Newfeld. So let's turn now to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 4 to 9 for an important message on what's right about the church.
1: a series on 1 Corinthians entitled, The Power of Christ in a Pagan World. It's a series designed to teach Christians how to be the people of God in a deeply fallen culture. Today, I've entitled my address, What's Right with the Church? I do happen to know you can preach a pretty exciting sermon entitled, What's Wrong with the Church? In fact, you and I can make a long, extensive list on what's wrong with the church. All of us can, no problem at all. Well, Fair enough. I don't disagree. There's plenty that's wrong with the church, and as we get to know the church in Corinth from 2,000 years ago, we will see that there was plenty wrong with that church as well. They were wracked by church fights. They divided into at least four factions. They had poor leaders. They were struggling with sexual immorality, divorce, idolatry. Men's and women's roles, drunkenness at public gatherings, misuse of spiritual gifts, theological problems, the list just goes on and on. There was plenty wrong with that church. You see, I often meet people who tell me they love Jesus, but they've given up on the church. There's so much wrong with it. And maybe some of you can identify with that. I know some of you love the church, but some of you don't. You've been disappointed with the church, maybe wounded by the church, maybe just disillusioned. The church should have been better, more like Christ. It should have understood her mission, but it didn't. Look, I understand. The church has often sinned, and I have been wounded by the church as well. But consider this. For just a moment, U.S. President Woodrow Wilson once said, I would rather fail in the cause that someday will triumph than triumph in a cause that will someday fail. And that is the point, isn't it? This cause, the church, will someday triumph. The church will stand before Jesus. She will be without spot or wrinkle. She will be clean, triumphant at last, finally made perfect, and all the kingdoms of this world will fall. When the apostle Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, he was writing to a church that was floundering and failing, a church that was disappointing, and a church that was sinning. And instead of pointing out all their failures, he begins his letter to them, telling them what's right with the church. And I think in the day in which we live, we should listen. I'm reading from 1 Corinthians 1, nine. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord." Now, going back to verse 4, here's the first thing that is definitely right with the church. Christ has given her grace. Paul thanks God for the grace given them in Christ. Paul is deeply thankful for this church. And if he were alive in this day, he would be deeply thankful for all sorts of churches today. Why? Because the church is the recipient of grace. Well, what does that mean? Grace is not what we say at meals. Grace is the foundation of the life of the presence of God. David Jackman says it well when he compares two concepts in the Bible. One is grace and one is mercy. He says grace gives us what we do not deserve, and mercy shields us from what we do deserve. We do not deserve forgiveness, and we do deserve damnation and wrath, but we got what we did not deserve, and we were shielded from what we did, and that's the common experience of the church. I want you to think about what the church really is. It's people. It's not an organization or a building or pastors or the elders or board members. It's people. It's all of us. People who have been called by Christ. People as they actually are. We're full of all kinds of idiosyncrasies. Some of you, well, you dress like it was still the 1980s, and some of you dress like the cover of a contemporary fashion magazine. Some of you have hang-ups and some of you are self-centered. And some of you feel a genuine sense of superiority over others. Some of you are the poster child for low self-esteem. And some of you are young and some of you are old. And some of you are happy and some of you are depressed. And some of you are sick and you're afraid that you're going to die. And some of you are getting on with your future, and it looks exciting. And some of you have no sense of direction, none whatsoever. And some of you forgot to wear your deodorant today. God have mercy on you. And some of you are wearing way too much deodorant. And some of you interrupt every conversation with your own thoughts. And some of you hardly speak at all. But that's what the people of God are like. But listen, all of us are sinners. We all sin and we're rebels by nature against the pure love of God. And we have enough fire of hell that leaps out of our souls to consume each other. And we live under the sentence of death. And we will stand before the bar of God's judgment. And we, the church, are the community of grace. We have been given what we do not deserve, and we have been shielded from what we do deserve. The Father has loved us and called us to himself, and the Son has bled and died on that horrible cross for our sins. And the Spirit has drawn us, in spite of ourselves, to a place of repentance and surrender to Christ, and we now are the community of grace. And that's fantastic. And that's what's right with the church and about the individual believers as well. Now, listen to the words of Jesus. I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Do you see what Jesus is communicating? Two things. First of all, he tells us the nature of his mission. The reason he came to earth, it was to build his church. And secondly, he tells us the success of the project. The gates of hell will never prevail. Don't you see it? There's nothing else in the world like the church. Christ has given the church grace. The church is the community of grace. Now, the rest of this passage will tell us that every day the church is receiving more grace from God. We are under a waterfall of grace. I love what Thomas Brooks said. Saving grace makes a man as willing to leave his lusts as a slave is willing to leave his galley, or a prisoner his dungeon, or a thief his bolts, or a beggar his rags. Indeed. That's what grace is doing. It's transforming us clearly, unmistakably. We are becoming more like Christ. We are no longer wanting our past life. That's what it means to live in grace. Do you remember that Christ told a story like that? A man found a treasure hidden in a field, an enormous sum of money, millions of dollars. Imagine that you are going by an empty lot or an empty acreage with a for sale sign on it. You might be interested, but you know you don't have the money. You walk around the acreage and you dream. This would be nice, but, but who can afford it? And your foot brushes against something, it's some kind of a metal thing, a slab, you think. And you kick at it, but you, you can't move it. And you go home and you're curious. And the next day, towards evening, you go back to the acreage, this time armed with a shovel in the trunk of your car. You start to dig away at the metal slab and you keep digging until you realize it's a large box of some kind. Wow, I wonder what it is. And you keep digging, and guess what? You find a latch. And you manage with all your strength to open it, and you gasp. It's filled with golden bars, each bar with a 20-ounce marker on it. And you're literally hundreds and hundreds of bars there. And you realize this is bigger than you can imagine. And you close it up and you put earth over it and you're overwhelmed. And as you walk around in circles, your mind reeling from your thoughts, your foot hits another metal box. Who knows what's in there? And suddenly it all becomes clear. You have a plan. You sell everything you have, your house, your car, you cash in all your RRSPs, and you borrow everything the bank will give you, and you're leveraged up to your eyelids, and it's just enough to put a down payment on the acreage. Was it a sacrifice? Are you kidding? There's at least $100 million of gold in that place. You're not sacrificing. Everything you have is nothing compared to the riches you're buying. Do you know what that is? That's the life of grace we have found in Christ a richness that is so vast that we would gladly sell everything to get that field. Christ has offered us forgiveness and eternal life and peace with God and heaven and the blessing of the Holy Spirit. And for that, we abandon our sins and our former desires and our lifestyle choices. We abandon our future plans. We would abandon them all and give them to Christ and we are formed into his church and that's called grace. We are the community of grace, and that's what's right with the church. We have found a treasure, the treasure of grace. We are the people, the community of grace. That thought is staggering. Paul's only getting warmed up. Christ has made the church rich in four ways. Look again at the beginning of verse 5, that in every way you were enriched in him, in every way. And it's here that Paul wants us to take account of what grace has given us in our daily experience. He means here, and he is specific, not just the riches of forgiveness and the life of eternity. He means some wealth we have not expected yet. He means wealth in our everyday experience as the church. Listen to him. He says, you have been enriched in all speech and all knowledge. And when we come back, we'll explore why these things are so precious. And of course, we'll explore what's right about the church and the wealth of the grace that is ours.
0: Well, I think this introduction has shown us that this powerful picture of grace is indeed a picture of what the church looks like. It is a community of grace. All too often, it's easy to simply criticize everything that's wrong, but we need to remember the words of Paul here, who begins this letter with affirming what is right about the church. After the break, Dr. Neufeld will unpack the ways in which Christ has made his church full of riches. Psalms of the Seasons, our 2020 Back to the Bible Canada calendar reminds us of many things. It reminds us of the beauty and magnificence of creation and the beauty of God's Word. It provides a uniquely designed Bible reading plan by Dr. Newfeld, and there's no better way to start the new year than a commitment to read God's Word cover to cover. Now, the calendar is limited, so it's only available as quantities last, so reach out today to ensure you get your copy of Psalms of the Seasons. This calendar is filled with encouragement, beautiful pictures, the Bible reading guide, and it's yours for free while supplies last. So to request your copy and perhaps consider a financial gift to support the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada, call us at 1-800-663-2425. That's 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca to order your calendar today.
1: When we left off, Paul was recounting two areas of grace that has enriched the church. The first, speech. That's one piece of wealth that we have received, speech. But what does Paul mean? The first thing that we should note is the word that is translated as speech is the Greek word logos. It's the Greek word that means word. You've been given the wealth of words or the word, the word in your mouth. But what can that mean? Paul will come back to these grace words often throughout 1 Corinthians. For instance, as we know in 1 Corinthians 12, that big chapter about spiritual gifts, he will use the term word over and over again. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance or the word of wisdom. To another, the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. See, many of the spiritual gifts that have been given to the Corinthian believers have something to do with the words that they speak to each other. But there's more. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross be emptied of its power. So the kinds of words that came from Paul's mouth when he preaches are words of a completely different order than the words that are commonly spoken of in the city of Corinth. Or look ahead to 1 Corinthians two thirteen. There, Paul says, and we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. Our words, says Paul, are spiritual. They are words that come from God himself. Now, what does all of that mean? I think this. We have something significant to say. The church has something to talk about. Why is this so valuable? I remember a number of years ago being asked to come to the bedside of a young man dying in the hospital with AIDS. He was the son of a pastor, but through a series of events had left his faith and joined the homosexual community. I came into his room and I noticed he was surrounded by a group of friends. This young man lay dying and his friends, to their credit, now surrounded his bed. It it was an act of kindness and it was an act that says we're not going to abandon you now. But I watched the pain and the discomfort in everyone in that room. No one knew what to say. One of them asked how he thought the Canucks were going to do that year. And remember thinking, I don't think he cares. He'll be dead before the season ends. But here's the good news. I used the opportunity right there to talk about Christ and his rich love. And to make a long story short, in the end, that young man came to Christ before he went home. You know, compare the words, words, words in our culture. I mean, words on radio and words on television, you know, words in the papers, in blog sites and Twitters and websites, words in the workplace, words in school, words with your neighbors, words, words, words. The whole human race is involved in an endless cycle of chattering. We never stop talking words. And if you gathered up all these words, they would amount to nothing but wind. A hundred years from now, they will mean nothing, but come to the church or turn on your radio as the gospel is being preached, and you will hear about life and scripture and prayers. And I promise you that when words explain the sacred text of the word of God, those words will not only matter a hundred years from now, they will matter into eternity. These words, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 4, is a demonstration of the Spirit's power, spiritual power in spiritual words. I call that wealth. It is the wealth of having something to talk about. And here's the secondary of wealth. Paul says, enriched in all knowledge. He means that the church is wealthy through the insight she has been given into the truth about God and salvation and life. This is why Paul puts speech and knowledge together. Believers know something. We know it intellectually, but that's not enough. In 1 Corinthians 8, verse 2, Paul will say, if anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. What Paul means is that the kind of knowledge we have heals the sick, binds the wounded, corrects the erring, and is gentle and life-giving. Have you ever met someone who has a Bible verse for everything and whose entire life is one great series of disasters? Sure you have. But the church has been given the knowledge in community, in love, in helping, and in restoring. That's the kind of insight we have into the truth. And that's why what we say as a church will change your life. Here now is the third way Christ has made us rich. Verse 6 reads, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. How is the testimony of Christ confirmed among the Corinthian Christians? Look ahead to chapter 1, verse 21. For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Paul repeats that same theme of preaching the word in all of chapters 1 and 2, and we're going to be looking at that in just a little while. But for now, let's just be clear. Preaching is very specific in Paul. When he trains Timothy, his successor, he gives him a very specific command. He says very simply, preach the word. It's the word that is the content of preaching. In other words, the object of preaching is to take the scripture, make its meaning plain, and help God's people to understand how scripture applies to everyone's life. It applies if you're in high school or in a nursing home. It applies if you're a native-born Canadian or if you're a new immigrant to this country. Preaching the word or being under the preaching of the word is a great source of riches for you. Every once in a while, I'll hear someone say, you know, my church is nature. Well, that's a nice thought, isn't it? Now, let's be honest. If you sit in solitude on the side of a mountain, your soul can indeed be filled with wonder and beauty, no doubt about it. Indeed, observing the wonder of creation can be deeply spiritual, and I want to acknowledge that, but it will not teach you how to overcome your anger, how to teach and raise your children, how to find your way to God, how to know the reality of sins forgiven, how to overcome the passions of the lower nature, how to live a life of love. But you sit under the preaching of the word with regularity, examining the word and applying it to your life in the context of relationship with others, and I promise you, You will be healed. Faith, the Bible says, comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. The preaching of Scripture is a sacred act, and that act is God's grace to the entire community. And by the way, the reading of Scripture does the same thing. Study it. But here now is the fourth way in which Christ has made the church rich. Look at verse 7. It reads, "...so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift." Look, everyone who knows anything about the Corinthian church knows that they abuse spiritual gifts. That's true. But Paul never condemns them for having spiritual gifts. In fact, he delights in the gift that the Holy Spirit has given that church. Yes, they must learn to use the gifts for the common good, for building up each other, and not for claiming a game of spiritual one-upmanship. Yes, there is so much to repent of here, but there is so much wealth that they also have. And so Paul's speaking to a church that is sick and divided and compromised and lacking in vision of what Christ wants of her. This same church is to remember what's right about the church. She is the recipient of grace, and Christ has made her rich. And third, Christ has secured her future. Listen again to Paul's description. You're lacking no spiritual gifts, he says, as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. The church, says Paul, has a holy destiny, and we do as well. Jesus is not coming back for Canada or North America or for any other country or human agency. He's coming back for his church, to draw his church to himself. I know that the church has been anything but perfect. I know the sins, mistakes, and carnality and foolishness that has sometimes plagued the church. I know that the church has wounded people and sometimes slandered people and many times gotten it wrong. And sometimes the church has been in desperate need of revival. And I think the North American church is there. We are in need of revival. But I do know what's right about the church. Given grace, made rich, and promised an eternal destiny, Christ will return for us. I hope you love the Church. Christ does, and I want you to as well. But more than anything else, I want us to find the very thing that Christ found precious to be precious in our own lives.
0: John, what a great message of encouragement, because I know even for me sometimes it's so easy to be critical, to condemn the Church, to look at all the things that are going wrong but you've given us a message of encouragement. What delights you about the church?
1: I uh, got saved when I was 18. Uh, I think I was 19 or uh, maybe 20 when the church that I was a part of gave me my first ever opportunity to preach. I have no idea, Ben, why they did that. And uh, if you'd have come out of that church service and you'd have been asked what's wrong with the church, you'd have said that guy that Sunday, no doubt about it. But over all these years of being a part of the church, I have gone through the highest highs and the lowest lows. I've seen the church at her worst and the church at her best. I've seen the church at her best when she really does come together, when I've seen individuals who have uh, healed over difficulties and prayed with one another. I've seen people come to Christ. I've seen Christ glorified in ways that I couldn't have imagined. But I've also seen us do things to one another that sometimes makes me shake my head and, and wonder about how deeply fallen we still are. But here's what I found. Christ has never abandoned his church. And I would just encourage all the believers who listen to this station, and and if you're not a part of a church, become a part of one, and join in Christ's great adventure. I think it's the best in the world.
0: Thanks, John. Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day. Have you registered for the Back of the Bible Canada's Laugh Again Caribbean Cruise in February 2020? Sail for nine days around the Caribbean, enjoying all that the incredible Royal Caribbean ship has to offer in all the ports of call. Do all this while being inspired and refreshed by the Bible teaching of Dr. John Newfeld, Laugh and be encouraged from Laugh Again's Phil Calloway. And enjoy wonderful music and worship with guests Shane and Angela weave So join us to celebrate this great occasion, bring friends, bring family, and make sure to register soon to avoid your disappointment. For more information or to register, call us at 1-800-663-2425. That's 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebibletours.ca. And remember that all of our ministry vacation events or tours are funded exclusively by the participants and no ministry resources are used for this purpose.